And remember that we are not descended from fearful men. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Five, four, three. The Kellen and Alex Show. Zero. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. The Kellen and Alex Show. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Hi. I guess since Kellen isn't here, it's technically the Alex and Alex. It is the Alex and Alex show right now. Coming (laughs) at you live. Well, not live. Podcasts (laughs) are live. From the Million Dollar Studio. From the Million Dollar Studio. It's the double A show. I don't know where I was going (laughs) with that. It's the double A, dude. I don't know where I was going with that. And we're talking Dare We Hope. Ah. What could be more controversial, really? I ah, see... Maybe, maybe if we wanted to argue over like whether it's heresy to receive Christ on the hand or on the tongue, that might be yeah, that, that might, might be, be a little bit more. The thing about it, modesty, that might be a modesty would probably be more controversial. The thing about it is like, I think if we wanted to have discussions with actual theologians, dare we hope would be far more controversial than either of those topics. Definitely, yeah. Like I think at at the very least, I think we would get people far more like, no, you're wrong, as opposed to like, um, when you get actual people who know what they're talking about it's both of those conversations are usually pretty tempered mm-hmm. but this one is is a little bit it's it like almost smacks of heresy um it gets very close but it's not quite there i don't so think. how would you explain it uh so von balthazar von balthazar um is he swiss i think he was swiss i think so yeah yeah was a uh guy who according to the wikipedia page that i looked up on him uh Started a was a Jesuit. Started a faith community with a um, wife and mother, whose husband died, and then she remarried at some point. But basically, the uh, argument, as I understand it, is that it is incredibly likely that there are people in hell. We have a lot of evidence that would make it possible that um, that people are in hell. But for a, for a very specific reason, the Catholic Church has never condemned any one person. It has never said this person is definitively and one hundred percent in hell, and we know this based on da 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 da. There are some people that it would seem pretty cl- cut and dry, and the Church has never done that. So, like, why has the Church never done that? Because there's always a hope for salvation for every individual. Um, you know, Christ says that it is not for us to judge the salvation of of another, and so. Essentially, the theory is that we can hope that there is nobody in hell based on every individual we can hope that they are in heaven. Mm. So um, it makes a lot more sense when you look at the micro as opposed to the macro. But like, basically, you would suggest anybody and you say, well, wouldn't you at least hope that somehow that would it would be possible that they would be saved? You know, wouldn't you at least hope that maybe like when Judas put himself on the rope that like he had one flashing second of just like, I'm sorry. Mm. And then he was somehow to get to heaven. Like I know Christ would definitely rather that Um, Christ knows, but like we could at least hope that Um, that's theoretically possible, even if practically it seems astronomically unlikely. And so you go through that with every individual person and that eventually leads to the theory that it is not impossible for us to hope that every individual has been saved um we don't necessarily we wouldn't necessarily know how it like how that would look with every individual but that it is possible for us to hope it not that we think that it's super likely or that like you or even should sort of likely you even sort of <laughs> likely even like remotely likely like hmm. it is it is incredibly 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 unlikely i like I don't know anybody who wouldn't claim that it's incredibly unlikely, but we can hope it and we can pray for that intention as far as I know. Um, and just like 
Yeah. So that's as far as I as far as I understand, that's essentially uh, von Balthasar's argument. So in the Catholic world, uh, we have Bishop Barron who really is supportive of this idea. Why? And he gets an immense amount of uh, <laughs> controversy. Um, you know, people bring it up to him in his YouTube comments like all the time, myself included, by the way, I have brought it up a lot. Um, why do you think this is so controversial for Catholics? Why is it so inflammatory? This well, dare we hope that all men be saved? Well, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of amateur theologians and philosophers who are also internet trolls. Yes, you just raised your hand. I'm looking at you. Um, yes, amateur <laughs> theologian who's an internet troll. That's I, I say that I say that with the utmost charity, but it does exist. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the primary reason that people like object to that is that at least initially, like without an understanding of it, it, ev- it evinces this very visceral reaction of like, you are saying that we should believe that, pe- that there's nobody in hell. Um, and that's universalism. That's that's an actual heresy. And that's a thing that kind of goes intuitively against because everybody has an example of like a person that they think should should be in hell. Like usually people will say, oh, so you you wish like, are you saying that Hitler's probably not in hell? And it's like, well, no, that's not we're, we're not saying he's probably not in hell. We are saying we don't know. And like, what about Judas? Well, we're not saying it's like it's very likely that he's not in hell, but there is a chance and the Catholic church hasn't condemned it. I think the primary reason that people don't like it is just, it's, it feels it's misunderstood because it, it appears to be claiming something that it's not, it's not, it's not so much a theological claim as it is a theolo- as it is a ideological recommendation. Theological claim is an ideological recommendation. Interesting. Yeah. is It's what it seems like to me. Yeah. Kind of like an attitude of, hoping rather than yeah despairing that any person's actually is damned um right or claiming definitively that nobody is damned right which would be okay so explain universalism so universalism says universalism says that there is again as i understand it universalism is the uh is the belief that hell is actually empty not that it's possible but that it is a fact that no man has been condemned and that the only people inhabiting hell are Satan and his, and his uh, demons. Right. Which and is, there's some, I think, origin who, okay, early church father who didn't actually get, well, the definition, were you saying something with early church father or? No. Oh, okay. Just, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I thought I saw something. Yeah. Cause it's kind of disputed. Okay. Is, is he an early church father or not? I think, yes, he, he held a universalism that basically at the end, uh, all, even the devil, and the fallen angels will be all recapitulated and everything saved. So not just there's like universalism that stops with like, well, not the devil. Then there's originism universalism with which includes the devil as well. Right. Which doesn't really work with the idea of like the perfection of will and in, in demons mm-hmm. and in angels. Um I don't remember who said that specifically, but essentially angels cannot change their minds. They have perfect understanding of what their uh decisions eventually lead them to. And, you know, so often people will, will say like, if they've gone on like this really bad path, they'll say, I, I had no idea. Like, I have no idea how I came this far, like how I got here. Or I had no idea that this would happen. The demons had perfect knowledge of that. And that's all the more folly of Satan is that he chose it with full knowledge. Hmm. Um, but that's, that's kind of the problem, particularly with the belief that even the angels will be saved is that it's kind of, it's kind of, it's impossible. And then, of course, the church does believe that, like, if you die in a state of mortal sin, 
uh, without repentance, then it, it, it would be impossible for you to attain salvation, and that is an actual consequence of your sin. And you'll be damned, yeah. And you'll be damned. And this is also in the context we have a debate coming on Sunday, of which we are both <laughs> we <laughs> presenters. We do. Fight night. Fight night at 5.30 on Sunday, so I don't know if I'll release this before then or not. I may, I may <laughs> release it after. I, I don't think we'll reveal our whole battle plan before then, so I might release it before. But no, um, probably. Listen away, Clement Nation. Yeah, listen it. away. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's coming on Sunday. We are presenting Affirming uh, Dare We Hope. Yes. We can't this, hope that all men This are house saved. believes that, or this- This house dares the hope. To hope that all men are saved, and we are saying, yes, we do dare to hope. Um, that may actually make our position harder. Believes you can dare to hope all men would be saved. I think we could make just cakewalk on that. Oh but yeah, telling this house to dare to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and the I, difference there? I don't. I do see the distinction. I I don't know that it's absolute. Like I I don't know that it's absolutely crucial. I think mm-hmm. that uh, once you realize that you can, I don't see a whole lot of reason not to hope. Like particularly if you acknowledge the reality that it's very, very, very unlikely, um, but that like you are willing to just hold out that smallest sliver of hope, not despair of any individual person. I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's that much like farther of a, of a claim because I don't think it actually demands that much of you once you understand what you're talking about. Right. You know, like it's, it, we're, we're not asking you to like elude yourself and be like, oh, well, there's probably nobody in hell or like, I would I would put money on Judas like repenting before he died. That's, yeah. that's like that's not the claim at all, and so and that's that's not the hope that we have. Yeah. Um, I am not a gambler, but I would imagine that that bet would be pretty bad. And so uh, I <laughs> my previous gambling, I always lose. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not much of a gambler myself, but I always lose. So I know I'm betting on this dare we hope side. But if I had to place bets on it, I'm sure I'm sure I'd lose some money. <laughs> I actually, I actually, fun fact, um, I've played poker with with Kellen once, and nice. uh, I think you were there. as I well. I was there, yeah, and I I beat Kellen pretty soundly. So if he were there here, you go. there you go, got would, him. Yeah, so I want to bring in some origin real quick, and oh man, read from him and just origin get... of the belief. Yeah, well, uh-huh. I feel like it. It was around before Origin. It kind of been floating around until until really Augustine, um, which is which is interesting. So around the time of Augustine and Jerome was when Origin got basically posthumously slam dunked by everybody. So right. Jerome, so Jerome actually had a uh, a fellow theologian named Rufinius, uh, who was a buddy of his, actually a great friend of his. Like uh, had had a great friendship. We even have letters from Jerome to Rufinius. Like, you know, uh, just this very poetic, very heartfelt brotherhood that they had. And uh, Rufinius publishes a translation of Origen's works in in Latin, because Origen wrote in Greek, and was very favorable to Origen, making him seem Hmm. not as much of a universalist, kind of glossing over (laughs) some difficult parts. Jerome made his translation, making Origen out to be like absolutely a heretic. And he wrote to Rufinius, and his letters to Rufinius are like the biggest diss track. And and he oh pulls no punches. I mean, he he <laughs> he disses Rufinius. He calls him, you know, an un can't hasn't learned the first thing of letters and all this type of stuff. <laughs> it's terrible. Can you even the fact read? that a saint wrote this? Oh, dude. <laughs> oh, I don't even want to read from that th- those sections. It's uh, nice. It's nice to know that the Twitter grammar checks have been happening for far longer oh, than yeah, Twitter has sure. existed. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> he slammed. He slammed Ramam. It was just uh, terrible. And uh, you misspelled character, therefore your argument is invalid. Ha ha. Uh, uh, 
Anyways, I, I might want to get to that. Well, that's <laughs> when Origin became because before everyone kind of revered Origin because he was a holy man. He he was the greatest early church biblical scholar up up until that point. Hmm. Um, just huge interpretations, allegorical translations, uh, interpretations and stuff. And then, yeah, it was his universalism that caused a lot of his works were burned. We actually wow. only have fragments of some of his works. Dang. Because they took it so seriously that it needed to be burned. And there had been renewed interest in origin at the Second Vatican Council. Uh, De Lubach uh, published a book on origin and the interpretation of scripture. Hmm. Really interesting stuff. All right, let's. I, I want to read a bit of origin. This is from the Fundamental Doctrines. It says oh this These subjects indeed are treated by us with great anxiety and caution, more in the manner of discussions and investigations than in, in that of fixed and definite positions. For we have indicated in the preceding pa- pages those questions which are bound bounded by clear dogma, which which I think I did to the best of my ability when speaking of the Trinity. In these matters, however, our exercises to be conducted insofar as we are able more in the style of a disputation than of an actual defining. The end of the world, then, and the consummation will take place when everyone will be subjected to the punishment deserved for his sins, a time which God alone knows, when he will bestow upon each what he deserves. We think indeed that the goodness of God through his Christ and may, may recall every creature to one end, even as enemies being conquered and subdued. Huh. So notice the punishments are given. So he prefaces this with this is not fixed doctrine. <laughs> right. Notice. Right. Um, although later people will think he's, you know, asserting a doctrine. He said, we're, we're, we're going to be very careful. This is more of like an investigation and a dialectic and a discussion. Sure. And he said, at the end of time, all things consummated, there'll be a definitive time of purgation for everyone deserving of their sins. And then even his enemies being conquered and subdued will be recapitulated. Would be the huh. word. See, I find that someone, like, I suppose it would def- depend on your uh, definition of like deserved for your sin, but like the contemporary teaching of the church, and I would imagine it's fairly old, but I'm not a theology scholar, is that you. Like everybody deserves complete and total damnation and separation from God by the nature of our of the sin of Adam, and mm-hmm. also we we sin enough on our own without Adam's help. Um, so I think that that's rather interesting. That like if we're all going to receive the punishment that we deserve for our sin, that would almost seem to like we can't have both that and also a recapitulation. Like even yeah. even purgatory itself is something of a mercy in that we're still not really getting what we deserve. Hmm. It's taking us as close as we can to like it's it's taking us to salvation from where we're at, but it's not really punishing us for what we've done. Right. Um. It's more of just like filling the the void that that sin has left us. And then it it, it certainly would seem that it, it's it's interesting. He mentioned like the conquering of God's enemies. Yeah. Which would seem to be a violation of free will particularly for the 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 uh, demons one aquinas talks about how uh when god heals us he goes into our souls and he changes our souls in the form in that he perfects it because our souls are geared towards good and so when when god gives us the grace to reform to do good actions he doesn't alter our will, he goes in and he perfects it to the point where we are capable of choosing the good. And we're incapable of choosing virtuous actions without grace. Like mm-hmm. that's that's actually impossible with our corrupted nature. Or at the very least, it's incapable to have that virtue. 
uh, I suppose you could theoretically like accidentally stumble into uh, acting humbly for like once, but mm-hmm. but you can't consistently have that virtue without grace, and you can't have it perfectly for certain without grace. So I guess those would be my my initial thoughts. Is that he? It seems to me to be in, in uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Incompatible with his, the notion of free will. With, with the notion of free will, and also his own his own discussion of receiving what we actually deserve and also receiving heaven. Those yeah. are those are uh, kind of contradictory. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I'm going to go a little bit further. He, he goes a bit further. Oh boy. But whether any of the those orders of beings who act under the government of the devil and who obey his wicked commands will be able sometime in future ages to be converted to goodness because of the presence in them of the faculty of free will, or whether persistent and inveterate wickedness may be changed from habit into nature. But even you who are reading this may judge whether neither in these temporal ages which are seen, nor in those which are eternal and are not seen, one portion is to differ from another in every respect, even in the final unity and fitness of things. So you want to sum that up for me? I was t- drinking coffee and I zoned out for a second. <laughs> okay, whether... Okay, this this to me, you know, one of the biggest questions I have is like, okay, well, if it's eternal, meaning outside of time, how does purgatory cleanse the will? That It seems to imply a change in which there would be time present. Well, I guess you, does, you need does materiality it, it necess- for time. Does it necessarily imply... like? That, I don't know that that necessarily follows that Lucifer went from, like, he wasn't created evil. There was a change yeah. that necessarily happened, and that happened far before time. So a, a spiritual yeah, how change- Yeah, how it happens out of time, though, I- I, I have no idea, but, we, like, but we see that happening. If the will happening. can be purified, meaning turning more towards God, right? then in purgatory, it's somehow not fixed, the will, immediately. I mean, I'm, there are some theologians who believe that it's not a time thing at all, right? That it's more of a- uh, instantaneous action that I don't know. Maybe it like there's yeah. there's some way that it affects certain people more than others. Mm-hmm. But I've at, at the very least I've heard that there are that there are theories out there that it's not actually ta- a time thing specifically for what you've mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, that it we're immaterial, so we can't really experience material pain um, in that way. Or like it's it's even harder to experience some sort of time because we're immaterial, mm-hmm. and so it's probably some sort of process that we don't really understand. Right, um, which is the difficulty in all of this. Right, um, it just seems weird. We have this notion of kind of like heaven being static, meaning it's just like stuck, like you, your will is just fixed and you're just loving God. Right, and that's kind of like a bam, and that's it's like over or something. But it right. it is in heaven. It's it's continually reciprocal and getting better and better in some ways. Right, and okay, we take purgatory, which is this purifying fire, and um. I don't. I don't know. Like, n- no one perfectly loves. Uh, no one perfectly loves God. And Speak this for idea. Of, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we, we all yeah. have. Okay. Besides Mary and Christ, all humans have. You know, need for purifying to see God. Right. Better. Okay. And then it's like, and the church always prays for the dead, regardless. And we have this like list of saints we know that are definitely in heaven. Right. And we know that. Uh, yeah, that purgatory exists, and it's just it's confusing if there's that there's this change that would occur, this purging fire before someone enters into complete 
uh, glory. It seems like everyone would need that purging fire. Well, I think that when you look at, you know, there's there's this idea that that martyrdom acts like in proxy of purgatory. Like right, once, yeah. you, once you've surrendered your entire life, uh, I would imagine not that you're like the martyrdom itself is an like is what gives you a perfect will, but that God gives you the grace in a martyrdom that actually like perfects your will in that process. Mm-hmm. And thus he gives you a grace to not even have to go to purgatory. But particularly when you consider that you know evil is a is a privation, it it doesn't seem particularly extraordinary to me that like you would need a perfection to get to perfect. We we would need to have those I mean, it's like a really bad analogy to call it a hole, but like we'd need those holes filled up. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we really wouldn't be very capable of of receiving it. Um, and I suppose the the other question is like, what's the alternative? Like, is what's what's origin presenting that isn't still some kind of purgatory? Yeah, no, it has to be a it has to be a purgatory. Well, he it's almost like all humans and the demons and everything are going through what would be kind of an extended purgatory, meaning hell as we know it is just the throes of the worst parts of the purging fires. Of the purging fires, And right. And he bases this on Paul in 1 Corinthians, which I'll, I'll have to pull up in a bit. Um, but the other alternative that he's saying is, or whether persistent and inveterate wickedness may be changed from habit into nature. So this is an interesting... like. We have the habit of evil, which would be vice, but it's right. possible that that habit, you know, origin saying, well, maybe, and I think like kind of a, a Thomistic or Augustinian position would be this, is that after death, that habit of evil becomes fixed. And then it's actually like nature at that point. It's nature of man to be fixed in that, you know, uh, but which when- I don't know how you hold that consistently with a purging fire that seems to be purifying. Right. Right. Yeah. It doesn't seem to me, it doesn't seem to me that evil becomes a nature at all because evil isn't a thing. Like that's yeah. So yeah, that yeah. that that doesn't that's that seems rather strange to me. That's like what would I like? That's like that's like saying that eventually you get a Swiss cheese that's just all holes. <laughs> like that's just not a cheese. That's nothing. That's, yeah. That's <laughs> that's your fridge after you had a, a too many sandwiches. Right. You know, there's just no cheese there. So like if your nature becomes completely evil, completely depraved, maybe it only has existence. Mm-hmm. Like, but then that's not, that's not like an evil nature. That's just lacking really anything in your nature except for the good of existence. And, right. and so I, I suppose, so yeah, I, I guess, I guess is what I, what I would say in that regard. So that would be my only point. I don't actually know where I was headed with yeah. that later. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. It, you know, it's a scary, hmm. okay. Originism, universalism was condemned by the church. This idea that right. it's, and hmm, I mean, geez, wouldn't universal church condemning universalism. Sounds like a, yeah, sounds quite uh, well, critical to it, me. It, it's, it's <laughs> condemning that we're, we're certain, um, it's condemning. It's condemning the position that says we're certain that all men will be saved. Right. We can dare to hope, but we cannot. We can dare, dare to, to hope, know. but we cannot be certain right. here on earth. Yeah. Right. And and Balthazar um, in the book talks about the difference between man under judgment and man after. I mean, the hope's going to cease after we get you know, right. After you're either in heaven or hell, um, that hope is over and it becomes reality at that point. But right. while we're here, we can still hope for that. I mean, we just think about it. Uh, 
people rely on these arguments of just like, oh, well, God's mercy and God's grace is is so you know great. He definitely couldn't damn somebody. And then at that point, I think you're moved into universalism. It's like God becomes a, a debtor to us. Like he owes us salvation for some right, reason. Right, right. In which case, it's not gratuitously given or gratuitously received. It's just something owed. Not only that, but in a sense, it's denying free will. Like Oh, totally, it's, yeah. It's like God has ceased to become a lover and he's begun to be like this possessive, abusive husband. And like, <laughs> that's like really terrible. Like we don't, like nobody ought to force you into intimacy with them. Mm-hmm. Um, like any kind of intimacy, like just relational uh, stuff. And so like to say that God wouldn't even allow you to reject him. Like it's like literally impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not mercy. That's just like this complete control of somebody. And that's not what we see with the, that's not what, like, that's not what we see in the entire pattern of, of God and theology and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, God theology and stuff like that. That could be, let me put it to, the, to a pretty you this way. Lousy well. podcast. <laughs> What's that? God theology and stuff like that. Sounds like a pretty lousy <laughs> podcast. Like podcast. Last things podcast. <laughs> okay. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing though? Okay. Imagine what origins kind of thinking is, all right. So you do really evil things. This is something that I also I'm struggling with. So I, I need some help on this is <laughs> how can these finite sins merit an eternal punishment? And Dostoevsky brings this up in, in Brothers K, I'm pretty sure. Hmm. Like, how can us who are finite beings merit an infinite eternal punishment? That seems like us doing evil in time, which has a fixed period, a fixed result, you could say, how can that merit something that never ends? Right. I mean, that's, that seems, uh, I guess I got to think about that for a second. I mean, I, I have no answer to it. So. Right, right, right. Like how, do, how does a finite evil cause merit, yeah, an merit, etern- eternal punishment, which also, again, seem we seem we still seem to be treating evil as like this thing, like this thing that you yeah. add to your soul. And like, that's not, that's not what evil is. Evil is a privation. And so like, in there's no such thing as like an infinite privation, except for in the sense that like, it's just a privation. Like it's just, there's just nothing right. there. God and, is still present, you know, even to those in hell. Right. right. In the sense that he's keeping them in existence. Mm-hmm. And as far as I know, that's the only way he is present to them. Um, yeah. And they can't see you not Alex. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a good um, point. But no, 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 sorry. Um, just <laughs> yeah, I forget about that sometimes. Just, just sassing the host on the first time I'm on this podcast. <laughs> it's no wonder he's never invited me before. Um, but like, sorry. So, mm-hmm. so it seems to me that like it's almost the wrong question. Like, it's it's not like it's not as if you know we have like so many evilness dollars, and it just doesn't seem like we can pay for eternal damnation. It's like, well, if you don't have it, you don't have it. Mm-hmm. Hell is just, we just don't have God and we've chosen not to have it, to have him. And so, yeah. and so like, and like a finite evil is still like, and in some sense, I would almost argue that a, like a mortal sin isn't like a finite evil. Like we've completely cut ourselves off. So in that sense, we have removed the infinite like what qualities of infinite goodness and stuff we had in us, we have removed them. It's in, it's finite in time, but not finite in the effect that it has on us. And the only way that that can be repaired is by an infinite God who can fill that, that void where it, 
you know, which is where he was supposed to be in the first place. I don't know. I, yeah, no, I, could I think be... that's related to, yeah, the passion as well. Like there was this, and, and this is Augustinian. And I, <laughs> once again, with a lot of this universalism stuff and um, the stuff about purgatory or whatever, these were Greek fathers. This was the Greek East that right. was really starting all this. And still to this day, uh, what's his name? David Bentley Hart, who has this book, uh, All Will Be Saved or something like that, that just came out. Oh boy. He is a Greek Orthodox. Uh, now I think he converted to it, um, but he's a big defender. Of, is, is he actually a universalist or yes? Like wow, professed universalist. Like, That's unfortunate. For certain. And um, dang, his book has been widely discussed and stuff. I'm sure it has. But it comes from the East, and notice with Augustine is when we really definitively get like, okay, doctrines of hell. Everything is kind of set out in that very kind of like a Roman legal structure. You know what I mean? It's, it's definitely Western. It's far more Western, right? Sure. Original sin is an infinite offense because it offends an infinite party that's infinitely offended, which is God. Right, 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 and right. Now, and, and, and then you can start to substantiate a, well, okay, an infinite offense requires an eternal punishment or something right. like that. And therefore, we have the Mass of Damnata, which is the Mass of the Damned, which is Humanity, right? Right, right, <laughs> Which right. Augustine is not afraid to say humanity post-fall is the lump of the damned. That is the <laughs> definition of humanity is those who are tending towards damnation. Thanks. And it's only Christ and through the sacrament of baptism, regeneration, that the new Adam comes, the legal price has been paid. The ran- And Augustine goes so far, I'm pretty sure he says the ransom is paid to the devil hmm. That's because he's the, the one something. who's owed you know and notice it's all kind of in roman legal structure terminology right right right, right. now i'm not dismissing augustine's absolutely brilliant he's the best <laughs> you know what i mean like why would uh, we ever want something that has russian legal structure that's yeah <laughs> wait totally. did i just say russian yeah yeah well, you meant roman we why would we want anything in a russian legal <laughs> we don't want structure. russian legal structure either I, I i do have solzhenitsyn up there too and uh ooh. russian legal structure read some solzhenitsyn you do not want that yeah quite uh, we only <laughs> want we only want novels describing russian Russian legal don't want structure. The actual Gulag yeah. Archipelago stuff. Did, did you uh, know that the in the first time they codified the entire Roman law, uh, the Corpus Juris Civilis, mm-hmm. it's never been out of print for two, seriously for two thousand wow. years. Justinian, right? Uh, probably. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's no. Yeah, you can, you can buy it on Amazon right now. If That's I dope. if I had a reason to, I would. Like <laughs> every man needs you need your Roman law somewhere. You yeah, know? you know. Put it on the shelf. It's you never the, know when you need to pull out the Justinian law code. You, you never know. You, you may get two uh Roman emperors coming to you and being like, We need this dispute settled, and you are the only man who can solve it. And aren't you gonna wish you bought the Roman law off of Amazon? <laughs> We're gonna get you sponsored. That? Sponsored by the Justinian code, <laughs> Kellen and Alex show. Oh my I'm gosh. Totally yep. Yep. Uh yeah, it's all these Greek guys going back to it. It's like um, the Greek fathers. Only when when we get Augustine, we get this very legalistic. Okay, hell is this. This is hell. This is you know completely right. And and you notice here in, in Origin that for me for for Origin it's just kind of simple. Of okay, well we we had the great uh, by eating the eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, assenting to the devil and breaking definitively. Original sin that that was there that was original sin. We have broken from God, and yes. we need redemption. Yes, and therefore we need the cross, and we need Christ and His incarnation, which is even greater than uh, before the fall, because now we become consubstantial with God right. through 
um, mankind. Mankind becomes consubstantial. We get brought into the body of Christ and brought into that divine life. Right. And uh, and Christ came to save all. Right. He yeah. came to save all men through yeah. His cross. Now, whether or not they cooperate with that grace is up to them. Now, right. the Dare to Hope guys, uh, von Balthasar is saying we dare to hope that all men, and we're basing that hope on the mercy of God that's been demonstrated in the cross, that he came to save all men. And we hope that all men will cooperate with grace. And it's not because we have some anthropology of man that makes him out to be just perfect and he always receives. It's because we know that God is willing to go to such lengths to save all men as to even die on a cross. And as St. Paul says of, you know, it'd be tough for somebody to to, to die for a just man. But even when we were in our sins, Christ came and died for us. Right. It wasn't because we merited any of it. So that dare to hope is based not on, oh, well, man is so good at doing good things. You know? <laughs> like it's definitely not that. It's no it's based no, it's on not. Christ going so radically far as to be crucified on the cross for all mankind. Uh that's what's the basis of the hope. Right. The universalists say that demonstrates all people are saved. Yeah. I think that's the difference. Yeah, I think I think that you're right. Like basically it's it's as much like well we know it worked we know it works for some people we know it's supposed to work for all people so there's a chance that it worked for all people like that's not a particularly fallacious like belief or anything mm-hmm. we do see you know evidence that it probably did not save everybody uh i suppose we can address that at some point but like there's but but evidence in and of itself that it is rather likely that people are in hell um, doesn't mean that that's not possible. And yeah, it's like, it's just based on the logic that like Christ willed to like, if at the very Christ willed us all to receive, uh, his grace, at least in some sense, mm-hmm. you know, he desires all men to be saved. And, and that, that, that results in like some, some interesting things. Like if people are condemned, uh, you know, Aquinas had this like interesting definition of reprobation and stuff that's all very confusing unless you <laughs> do so much research. And I know because I haven't done enough research and I'm rather confused. Um, <laughs> I'm <laughs> but confused about all of this stuff. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's so interconnected with everything too. Man. It really is. It really is. And so and so that's that's kind of where, where you get all of that. And yeah, and then universalists look at that and say, well, it's impossible for God to allow somebody to have rejected his grace. Like God wouldn't allow that, I guess, in a sense. Mm. And that's like, if that were the case, it wouldn't make a ton of sense for Christ to have so many like warnings about of of hell, of of hell. And like, we have so many, um, we have so much that is implying that at the very least it is a possibility uh, that it, it doesn't make a lot of sense and ultimately kind of rejects this, this idea that that damnation is is a thing that can happen and as our debate opponents will say can and does happen um hence i would say it's really 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 likely that it can and does happen to people right okay i'm going to give the universalist position go, as best as i can go and for please it please try and uh, at the end just imagine this this scenario okay and i think this is what origin is trying to argue is, all right hit me and I haven't read Bentley Hart, so I don't know his position, but okay. Christ came to save all men and he died on the cross to offer salvation to all men. 
Right. And they either cooperate with that grace and receive it, or they do not, and they reject Christ's uh, calling. Sure. Now, after when everyone dies, um, we all have to go through a purifying fire because none of us are perfectly. Um, we still have to have some purification of the will, right? Because the will is not um, perfectly in line with God, and so right. Um, you go through that purifying fire. Now, their position is all men go through that purifying fire, but it's it is so for for those who have rejected God. That fire is unlike any of the tortures you could possibly ever imagine on earth multiplied to an infinite degrees. Right. Which would be worse than any, you know, torment here, right? Right. So much worse. <laughs> <laughs> and it would in um eternal therefore being taken as seemingly never ending. Mm. However, in, you know, according to God's providence and it's this is outside of time, so at some point all men are recapitulated, including let's take origin, including the devil and the evil angels, and all are purified, and their wills are once again cooperating with divine grace, and um, and then all men and all of creation, everything God created, uh, has been purified in love, and mm-hmm. all that's evil, right? Th- those evil things is that absence of love. And right. Christ, through that that suffering, uh, through the sufferings that you know are are inflicted on the people who who don't they they come to love God and Christ and everything else. Right. That's the universalist position. Origin, as best I think he he would, as best I understand it. Right. Right. I mean, it just. I think that eventually. Uh, I mean, I, I suppose that it would seem that the argument would be like, well, eventually God lets, God eventually lets you reject like the good that he's offering you. And, you know, you get to a, you get to a point where um, if you truly have like weeded out of your soul, every trace of like openness to God's grace, mm-hmm. he's not going to force it into you. Um, and if you truly do not desire that grace, God's not going to violate your your will in that right. regard, uh, and and that's that's the interesting thing in that re- in. I don't know what you. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> sorry. My brother's K out. Yeah. I'm recording a lot of stuff, so I can. Once this is like, yeah, we're we're just talking through it, but yeah. So universalism, yeah. Where does that analysis fail? Like, what what things if you if you hold that position, like how are you going to view the faith after that? I mean, I think I think that. I think that it takes away a lot of the uh, it takes away a lot of the importance of actual like moral teaching in in some regards like why would we a be missionaries and why would we b live by the faith if eventually we're going to get there like it may be terrible and it may be miserable and like it may feel like we're going to be there forever but if we know in our in our heart of hearts that eventually it will not end and we will get there. Mm-hmm. Like that, that uh, almost seems to, it almost seems to cheapen the, uh, like the importance of living a moral life. And uh, yeah, that seems like a strange thing to desire. Yeah. Okay. So it cheapens free will completely, right? It absolutely does. It basically, yeah. All your decisions are really for, for not. Okay. 
Now, but they would reply. <laughs> I'm giving their. I'm trying to give their position as best I no, can. No, but good. they would reply like, "Look, I mean, if you're saying uh, the will is determined by like God is good, and there is Him or nothing, and so and we've talked about this with evil. It's like, well, I mean, in a certain way, your will is determined towards the good, right? And it's, so it's ended. It's ended. It's, towards its termination the good. is is the good, and whether you cooperate with that. The more you cooperate with that in your free will, the uh, the better it is for you. And you know, and, and if you cooperate with that grace, then uh, now if you do not cooperate with that grace, that is self destroying. I right. mean, you're continually destroying yourself, but you never can get to the point where you're just absolutely zero nothing. You know what I mean? Right. If you have existence. Right. And so this idea that hell is. Um, you know, uh, the universalists would say, okay, well, uh, those who aren't cooperating with God's divine providence are going to receive the punishment that their will has chosen for itself, right? Those own punishments, meaning it's not an externally forced, like God's like, you know, puts the gasoline all over hell and lights the match and is like, Oh yeah, sweet. Now they're burning. Right, right. It's in proportion to how much the will has rejected God. Right. That they are then tormented by that. And they say, okay, well, that will continue for the time that God has allotted for it. And we're talking time analysis. Yeah. yeah. But eventually that will that will be over and fixed. And then all are saved in that generic sense of now they all love God according to you know his designs. Right. And so his will will of all salvation is not thwarted. Because their argument is like, look, if the devil gets some souls, didn't the devil win? Right. If there's one soul in hell, doesn't that mean God's whole project of, hey, let's do this creation thing? Doesn't it mean it failed in some way? That's their position, right? Sure, sure. And I mean, I think when you look at particularly like what it means to reject God and to reject grace, like it doesn't. Like if we have rejected God and we have rejected him, like even the reception of grace is itself an act of grace. Like our souls cannot be prepared to receive grace without grace. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Like we, <laughs> we, we can't even like will to want grace without, without grace. And so in that regard, like particularly if we've completely shut ourselves off from that, mm-hmm. it's not so much that like God wouldn't take us back. Like if we repented in hell, it's that we have told God for the last time, I'm not interested, you know, like, like when, like when you, you tell somebody to take them off, take you off of their like, uh, telemarketer list. You're like, I am so sick of your calls. Stop calling me. Stop calling me. And you block their number and you throw your phone away. And then a, a mortal sin is infinitely more final than that. Particularly when you die, like that is so infinitely more definitive. And eventually God says, well, I mean, if you don't want the grace, I'm not going to force you to take the grace. And uh, I guess would be my response. And then you aren't, it's not that like, it's not that the, you you can't see it if you're listening, but like I'm doing air quotes. It's not that uh, you are receiving a punishment so much as just, as it's just the natural result of what's, of what your decision was. You chose to be removed from grace and so it, your soul is so corrupted and so without anything but existence that you can't even you can't even imagine receiving it. 
Hmm. It's it's not even a thing that you could kind of do. And you were and you were given so many opportunities to receive it. And uh as far as did the devil win, yes or no, like with a certain number of uh like if if even one soul was damned. I mean, I I think if that were the case, the devil would have stopped once he received one soul. Like and uh, yeah. And like it's could be greedy. I think he is. <laughs> he, oh, I'm I'm sure he is, but yeah. but I also yeah, so I don't know. That seems like a strange argument to me. Mm. Um at the very least God's actions don't seem to to indicate that. Um but I also don't fully know like how to define win or lose, you know? Like it it almost oh, man. It almost seems like uh yeah, I guess we would have to define what is winner, what is win and lose. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it's this is this is the reason why like all of this is. I mean, we just got to go back to Paul and just be like, okay, eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared for, uh, you know, yeah, for many for those who love Him, right? And it's like, yeah, no, all our speculation and stuff, and like this is heaven and that's hell and this is what it looks like, and then even imagining the concept of eternity is frightening and it's also completely perplexing and so i want to continue to preface this discussion with i have no idea all right we'll figure it out when we get there but there's certain things you know you can affirm like universalism or whatever and we're trying to to work through that but um and so i think there's definitely progress you could be made in this you definitely can affirm that universalism is universalism is false just oh sorry i I mixed it up yeah yeah, sorry (laughs) just so that okay i want to bring in a story that the devil actually says to Ivan in this novel. Ah, yes. Karamazov. The Grand Inquisitor. So, so Ivan's having this, he has a fever. A it's fever. a really bad fever. And he has either a vision of the devil and he's actually visiting him and it's not shown in the book or he's just like dreaming it up. Like a fever Ivan dream. can't tell. Ivan's an atheist. So he doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe in the devil. And the devil's like giving all these really crazy com- philosophical you know conversations with them yeah so this and is one of the stories. It, it should be pointed out that this is not the first time it's happened either like to, as, to ivan yeah as ivan <laughs> this is not the first time somebody's had a fever dream and had the devil appear yeah. no like ivan specifically um he's the conversation that the book shows is not the first time that they're they care they are carrying on a previously begun conversation got it yeah here we go. He said, uh, this legend is about paradise. There was, they say, so the devil's talking to Ivan. Right. There was, they say, here on earth, a thinker, a philosopher. He rejected everything, laws, conscience, faith, and above all, the future life. He died. He expected to go straight to darkness and death, and he found a future life before him. He was astonished and indignant. This is against my principles, he said, <laughs> and he was punished for that. That is, you must excuse me. I am just repeating what I heard myself. It's only a legend. He was sentenced to walk a quadrillion kilometers in the dark. We've adopted the metric system, you know. And when he <laughs> and when he had finished that quadrillion, the gates of heaven would be open to him and he'll be forgiven. And then Ivan says, and what tortures have you in the other world beside the quadrillion kilometers? Asked Ivan with a strange eagerness. What tortures? Ah, don't ask. In old days, we had all sorts, but now they have taken chiefly to moral punishments, the stings of conscience and all that nonsense. We got that too from you, from the softening of your manners. Uh, Anyways, well, this man who was condemned to the quadrillion kilometers stood still, looked around and lay down across the road. I won't go. I refuse on principle. 
Take the soul of an enlightened Russian atheist and mix it with the soul of the prophet Jonah, who sulked for three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, and you get the character of that thinker who lay across the road. What, did he lie on there? Well, I suppose there was something to lie on. You're not laughing. And, uh, and then Ivan says, well, is he lying there now? That's the point, that he isn't. He lay there almost a thousand years, and then he got up and went on. What an ass, cried Ivan. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it took him quadrillion billion years for him to actually end up doing that. And that was the devil's, uh, uh, you know, I think the, I wanted to use that, that analysis of, oh, sentence to a quadrillion kilometers to walk. I think the universalists say their basic argument is, look, viewed from our perspective, those punishments of hell like we can't even imagine it's a quadrillion kilometers, which is just ridiculous. Like it would take billions of years to walk that. Right. 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 And so, and from a human perspective, which thinks in terms of time, those tortures seem eternal. Right. However, eventually he stands up and then walks the quadrillion and he's welcome into heaven. Right. Meaning that possibility for love of God is the purgative fire that we hear about in, in, um, in in Paul and also in Peter and all this type of stuff, right, is open to everyone. Yeah. Um. And from our perspective, it looks like completely eternal and fixed will and that type of stuff. But in the end, all things are recapitulated. That's their position. And honestly, it's like, man, wouldn't it seem better that way in some ways? Like, I, I that's the reason why I'm like somewhat sympathetic with these with Origin with these other guys. I'm not trying to say I'm an Originist or a Universalist because I. Because I'm not like them, I'm you know I'm not pr- professing that certainty, but right. It seems wouldn't it be better? But at the same time, <laughs> you're like, okay, well, how do you explain justice? How do you explain people uh, choosing to not love God? Wouldn't that hurt free will and like our doctrine of free will and all this stuff? And at the same time, I'm like, yes. So I can't be, I can't know for certain that, but I sure kind of want to. <laughs> Does right. that make sense? Do you get my? I mean, yeah, no, no, I totally get it, and. In some ways, I wish you'd brought somebody way smarter than me to defend free will, but uh, <laughs> because the Lord knows that much smarter people were the ones who condemned universalism. Yeah. But in some respects, I mean, here's the thing: like with that one thousand years, like what we see is most likely, at least in my mind, like that wouldn't be a change of heart; that would be a breakdown of the will. Eventually, the philosopher just like got really sick and tired of laying there. Like eventually he realized, oh, this is stupid. Hell's worse this than is, Yeah, like I just I yeah. just I just like don't want this anymore. Yeah. And like but like that that only happened because eventually like because his will was broken down to the point where he huh, he was walking. Point, yeah. Like and that that was like against his will. When he was presented with all of the goodness of heaven like it was shown to him he rejected it and so in that novel the devil is describing you know essentially just torture for the sake of compliance and that's not what purgatory is is it's not torture mm-hmm. for the sake of compliance yeah cuz they're joyful in purgatory with their, their exactly yeah. it's you know i i actually really like cs lewis's description of it where uh you get to the pearly gates and saint peter goes well my friend like you have bad breath you smell you're you're wearing raggedy clothes but like we're charitable here. We accept everybody. Like you'll be more than welcome. And C.S. Lewis says, "Well, wouldn't we all kind of go? Well, please. I I think I'd rather get a shower first. And 
And Caesar was like, well, of course you would. You're seeing all these people dressed in like three-piece suits or whatever, whatever you envision in your mind of like the perfect um, like dress and everything like that. Why would you want to go in underdressed and smelly and gross? Like you want to be there and you are, and you're willing to like go through this, through whatever this purgation is because for your desire to be there, but it's not as if, but it's not as if you like rejected that. And eventually they were like, and, and like, they just stood there and were like, Hey, you should get a shower. 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 And then you got the shower and you went fine. I'll go into heaven. Like, like that's, that's not, that's not purgatory. That's, Mm. That's something totally different. And and so it it absolutely cheapens free will because eventually, like Dostoevsky's description, I think, is a really good example of like what would eventually like how that would look. And that's not a respecting of free will. That's just that's God, that's God like actively acting against it. And that doesn't seem to make a ton of sense. Well, wouldn't he, when he chose to stand up and start walking, he said, okay, this is God's will for me and I'm going to cooperate with it now. And the alternative, he could, the alternatives, he could lay there for forever, eternity, if he wanted to. Right. But he chose in that moment to will to cooperate. And I think, okay, let's take The Great Divorce, which I also have not read. I'm terrible. I've not read a lot. Uh, <laughs> but I do know, okay, so, you know, the basic premise is there's a bus that goes from hell and it's like on the outskirts of heaven and they get to all kind of like see on the inside a bit. And then, right. but eventually right. all of them, except I think for the the person who had lust, who ends up like flicking the little lizard off uh, of his shoulder. The angel actually Fli- kill, not kills flick the lizard. off, but like. There's a, well, the there's, a there's an, yeah. So, so every, every character, every ghost that comes up from this like old town has a saint come and, um, kind of try to like convince them to come with them into heaven. And so the particular saint with this guy who has a lizard on his shoulder for, uh, the lizard represents lust. It's whispering into this guy's ear. Um, and so this man wants heaven so badly. It's just this, this premise of lust. And he's like, Oh, I was hoping to come into heaven and like, he said he'd be quiet, the lizard. He's like, but he's he's acting up again. You know, the lust is still there. And he was like, I, I, I wouldn't, he says something like, I just can't be here with this. And like, he acknowledges that. And the saint says, and the saint ends up squeezing the, the lizard and killing it. Um, and then the lizard becomes a horse that takes the man deeper into heaven because our, when we defeat vices, they become this, like some of the greatest triumphs of grace, the greatest occasions of grace, and thus they take her, take us farther into heaven. So, um, and so like, but, but even in that regard, we see a lot of people who are presented the opportunity for heaven, but they have to reject everything that was left to them. And, um, and a lot of people don't choose to do that. Hmm. And it seems odd that there's never a finality to that. One of the things in the great divorce is like, yes, these souls are given the chance to come to heaven, but one of the things that's acknowledged is that eventually it just stops being possible. Not because, not even necessarily because God goes, well, you're not allowed to have another bus ride, but if you, but once you've come and seen it and you've rejected it, like, you know where your priorities lie mm-hmm. and it's, it's just kind of, it's just going to become impossible because you've been given the opportunity and 
boredom seems like a really bad motivation for redemption. <laughs> that's a good that's a good point. Yeah, eternal boredom. Yeah, uh and being isolated in that way. Um right. God. And that's the so, thing is like so many strange, you know. Because that's the thing that universalism eventually turns purgatory into is it's not it's not this like perfection of an already desiring good. It's not the perfection of a will that's already desiring good. Mm-hmm. It's torturing a will until it complies with the good that is being quote unquote offered. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And uh, I I get the motivation for the universalism. I re- just imagining any particular human soul eternally suffering is just so frightening. Oh, and, and I think Paul brought it up earlier with us downstairs. Uh, that you know, Saint Francis, even throughout all of his life, was praying and and thinking he was probably damned, and praying that, that wasn't a reality. You you said Pope Francis. You mean Saint Francis, right? Did I say Pope? I believe so. A little Freudian slip there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! We are no, I was kidding. Well, half uh, of us is, are anti-papists, I suppose. I don't know. Oh yeah. Anyways, <laughs> so. I said Pope Francis. That's funny. You said Pope Saint Francis. Francis. I was I was wondering if you were like all his life. <laughs> all Pope his Francis life, was a universalist. <laughs> like no, I was like oh man, that's uh, a, that's no, even and, more. And I mean that's one of the reasons that I mean Luther was so concerned of his salvation all the time and, and convinced he was damned that right. led him to to what he you know that and we call that like scrupulosity and all that. But that is what we call it. Um, you 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 get the motivation for these guys because they're just like well look how do you hold at the same time Christ came to save all and you hold at the same time this doctrine of free will and you also hold at the same time that you have to hold that hell does exist and then you also have this purgative fire notion and it's like well why don't we just extend that and what if all things really are recapitulated in Christ and just meditating on the fact of like Aquinas can has this quote and I don't know where it's from so I'd have to verify but you know the the Cries of the damned will be like music to the um, the souls of the saved, and you're just like, okay, let me think about that. Let me, uh, I mean, and it, doesn't that seem to betray like that really weird human tendency of someone suffering? You kind of take some type of delight in that, and and I mean, just take like the Colosseum or something like that. Right. Like, it's just viewing viewing the suffering of another. Like, wait a second, are, are isn't that an evil and fallen thing? Shouldn't we be supplicating God for all the time for the salvation of all men. It's like, how, how in the world is that pleasing? And then, and then you say, well, it's, it's God's justice that's being meted out. You're like, I still don't understand. Like, I don't understand that. I get like, okay, God's ways are so far beyond our ways that we can't understand it. Um, I totally get it. But for human understanding, it's just eternal suffering of any particular soul, let alone yourself. Is just so frightening. Um, it is. It is frightening. But I think it also. I think that particularly things like scrupulosity and also uni- universalism to an extent is kind of a misunderstanding of what mortal sin actually is. You know, we venially sin all the time, and like we talk about mortally mortal sin as like this thing of weakness. You know, like it's it's this thing that we just like almost slipped into. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, you know, that's kind of the case, particularly people with like addictive habitual sins. Like these are things that they're struggling with and their will has been broken down. But ultimately, mortal sin isn't just like you you didn't like just trip into a hole. Like it's 
it's an actual looking at God's face and saying no. Mm-hmm. It's a it is a it is a it is a complete rejection, a willful and honest rejection of 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 God and of goodness and of holiness. And you know when we look at we look at uh, people who are scrupulous are really worried that they uh, that they're going to slip into mortal sin. And so, you know, you look at Martin Luther and his, his, uh, solution was, well, we can't slip into mortal sin because we can't slip into damnation. Therefore damnation doesn't exist or not that no, but like, or therefore once you're in, you're in because you can't reject it. And it's like, well, it is true that you don't slip into mortal sin. Like that's a thing that is 100% you. Um, it's, it's like, it's not a thing that we, it's not an accident. Furthermore, I think we kind of have this idea that that God is like sitting there and he's like waiting for us to commit a mortal sin and then he's going to send a car crash and get us before we can get to confession and like that's it. Um and I think that that's a fundamental misunderstanding of like God's not only God's will for our salvation, but it's also a fundamental un- misunderstanding of God's mercy, you know. Like you said like there's kind of this legal understanding of mortal sin that uh Western. It's very like Roman and legal. Right. Yeah. But I think that, but I think that when you look at this idea, like, first of all, perfect contrition and like the idea that if we are actually sorry for our sin and we desire to be with God, our mortal sins can be forgiven. Um, not all mortal sins will be forgiven just because we regret going on a bender last week. But like, if we're actually sorry and are actually like, um, oh man, like, I really hate that I did that. And I just like, I w- not only do I wish it had not happened, but I wish that I could repair the relationship that I had. Hmm. Even yeah. like, I think if you had this, if you didn't even know God, but you were just like, I just absolutely wish I could be a better person. And like, I could be a virtuous person. That is a kind of contrition. And, and so like this idea of scrupulosity, this idea of universalism is this thought that we just kind of slip into adultery and murder and, you know, like, uh, constant drunkenness and stuff like that. Yeah. Because it's, we, we don't want to believe that our basic human mistakes are what condemn us. The thing is, is it's not our basic human mistakes. It's our actual decisions to completely reject what we're targeted for. Mortal sin. Yeah, I mean, this is totally, it's, it's so intimately related with what we're talking about with salvation stuff. It's just, so mortal sin being defining defined as a definitive break with grace and, <clears throat> and a damnable offense, right. if not repented from. Right. And you need confession to be forgiven of mortal sin. Yes. Unless you have perfect contrition, which is... A very interesting condition on that. I, I, I'm not doubting any of these things. I, it, it to me is just. I think we need all these things, but the East. I don't think the East has the same type of like legal apparatus. I mean, okay, there's mortal sins that can only be forgiven by confession or perfect contrition. In which case, perfect contrition. How can you know that? Well, that's a con- a condition of like I couldn't get to confession, so it's like the exception to the legal norm, right? And it's like okay, well, okay, why is the legal norm 
necessary. Well, okay, that's the normal means, sacramental means of forgiving mortal sins. Okay, what's a mortal sin? It's a damnable offense. Okay, so you need the legal sacramental apparatus. Not, a, not to, only, not only, not only is it a damnable offense, but it is a choice for damnation. Like that was, also is like okay, fries the brain, right? So you need those three conditions of. Okay, I, another preface. I'm just talking through these ideas. I'm not denying any of these. I'm trying to understand them. Okay. <laughs> right, 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 right. But you have these three conditions of grave. Uh, it, it is a grave matter. Grave matter, yes. It has to be freely chosen and know, and you have to know that it's a mortal sin. Right. You're like, okay, how do you practically fit those three conditions? Because there's so much up to interpretation. Okay, what's grave matter? Okay, well, we've demarcated these this list is mortal sins. That list is not. If it's drunkenness, that's the mortal sin. Okay, but if you're tipsy, you're on this side of the plane. You know what I mean? Now, right. it has to be willfully chosen. It's like, okay, well, where does... I mean, do we fully... And you have to fully know it's a mortal sin. Do you fully apprehend that I am doing this particular thing to break my union with God in a full type of way? In a... like, It seems like we're taking... Um, Okay, I, I want to get to that in a minute. Full knowledge that it's a mortal sin, and you have to be—it has to be free, a free choice, free act of the will. Right. I'm not denying mortal sins exist; they definitely do. But there is a whole legal apparatus that's definitely been married with this concept that also has a sacramental, um, a sacramental part to it, and I think that legal context is good. But it's—it becomes very. I don't know. It's just, it's difficult to understand, you know, and it's difficult for people to, to try and apply that Pe in their own lives. People say that God isn't just a judge waiting to condemn us. And then they describe the mechanism by which we are condemned as a judge waiting to condemn us. And that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a very interesting way. Yeah. That's like that. I think that's, do you get, you get one? Of, yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I, I see what you're saying. Mm -hmm. One of the things I would like, even going, going back to both Dostoevsky and Lewis. So like, our entire life is to, is to create ourselves to be the kind of person who would be willing to receive grace, right? So like mm -hmm. when we die, we go to heaven. And in the case of Dostoevsky, like that philosopher didn't necessarily say like in so many words, I choose to deny sanctifying grace and God because of these things. And I'm going to act that way. Like mm -hmm. I would assume not. Um, but like, but when he died, the, all of the actions he had done had created his character, had formed himself to be the kind of person who would look heaven in the face and say, I don't want this. Mm -hmm. And that's a, I think that that's particularly when you look at damnation, like that's what that is. That's us looking and being granted some kind of understanding of heaven and saying, no, like that's, I don't want that. And even in the great divorce, like they're given glimpses of outer heaven and from a distance, they can see like inner heaven. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and what we see is these people have created their entire lives to be the kind of person who would reject that unless it's on their terms. Mm -hmm. And so in some respects, you know, people say that, uh, I've had one person tell me that like humility is in some ways the root of all other virtue uh, in another sense, charity is, but like in, in one sense it's humility because we have to be willing to look at heaven and accept it not on our terms. And we have to create our own selfhood, our own, like 
with by the grace of God, we don't create it. God creates it. We have to allow God to create in us the kind of personality that when we run into Christ, like after we die, we look at him and go, yeah, you're the kind of person I'd want to be around. <laughs> and that's not a given. That is like, that's not, there are, there are people who, excuse me, there are people in this life who say, you know, if, if I can't have, you know, fornication in heaven, then I don't want to be there. And it's like, well, <laughs> yeah. then you won't be yeah. because you can't have that in heaven. Mm. And that's a real choice. Like that is an actual thing that that's a real thing. Everybody chooses whenever they practice that sin. That is a thing that they actively choose as well. If I can't have heaven without this, I don't want it. And, and it's not this sort of thing where God goes, well, you slipped up once. And <laughs> I guess that means we all know what that means. That means you're going to hell. It's mm. God going, listen, like I want this relationship with you very, very badly. And like, I'd get, I, I, I'm giving you every opportunity to repent of this and to actually choose it, but you've spent your entire life basing your identity around sin or even like, you know, people say like, well, what, what if, what if I lived my entire life in a holy manner and then finally got to the end and committed one mortal sin? Well, that would mean that you actually rejected everything up to that point in your life. It means you looked back on your entire life and said, that was a mistake. I don't <laughs> actually want, I wish I had not done that. And I do not wish for that when I die. The, these are these are choices that we're actually making. And even beyond just like this, this, you know, this legal apparatus that's trying to understand exactly what's going on. Right. It's not as if God is like interpreting, you know, going through every sin in your life and like interpreting this. We do that because we don't we don't have like an actual understanding of the fundamental goings on because there's something of a mystery to that. Yeah. Like how do we how can we understand truly and completely the relationship that sin has to our like to grace in our souls? Right. There's going to be a theologian who says, "Well, we actually have a great understanding." And I will go, "Ah, I guess I'm wrong. But like, but it seems to me that it's, it's incredibly difficult. And so this is a human way of understanding that is, and it does correlate to the truth of the matter. But even if it were a legal apparatus, this would not be a situation of somebody who like is just waiting for your damnation. This is a person who genuinely really, really wants this relationship to work. Like this isn't, this isn't a judge who's never known you before. Enough to die on a cross. Right. This (laughs) is like, this is like, a father who's seen you his entire life, like made you, loves you, has raised you, wants nothing in the world more than for you to be united with him. But he's not going to force you. You know, this is a husband who's seen his wife and like married her, like loves her, has like wants to and has spent his entire life with her. But like, if you're not going to not live a life of adultery, he's not going to like treat you like somebody who doesn't live in adultery. You know, if you're not going to actually reject that, then, then what's the point? You know, like it's, he's not like God will not be taken advantage of. Right. And, uh, Hmm. nor will he take advantage of you. If you're, if you're, if you're going to reject that, he's not going to just like wait until you change your mind because nothing better has come around. No, like sooner or later you choose that. And there's only so much change anybody can make at that point. And to and to just like wait until your will is given up on trying to resist that grace is like kind of a misunderstanding of grace. <laughs> right. Oh man, just so many like 
theological pretzels you can wrap yourself up into like i'm just like oh wait how does that fit with this or this or this it's just right. like um okay i would like, love back to your pretzel i really yes. wish somebody could like listen to this and just like mark down how many times we've spouted heresies not as not <laughs> no, as, I know. not That's even as like i'm sure yeah. not even not even like as like oh but like just in theory, like, what if we pose this? But just like, no. we're a- I'm like actually saying this, and somebody goes, Do you know, well, the that's false. <laughs> the Greek word that usually gets used for sin, um, hamartia, is what, and in, in from the interpretation I've seen of the word, originally it just meant it was actually used in archery for missing the mark, right? Hamartia, that there's that sin is a missing of the mark, and and, and you know, Aquinas gets it, I think, on uh, when he talks about evil is being, you know, just the absence of good. It's like when we're sinning, we're choosing a good. Right. According to a Thomistic uh, analysis, we're choosing a good. It's just a lesser good. It's a missing. It's a right. missing of what should occur. Right. right. Now, uh, this is where where I'm going back to that kind of very Roman legal apparatus of sin comes in is that where does that missing the mark become damnable or not? And it's just like, okay, well, well, then with these preconditions, okay, well, from an external perspective, um, then those, then that can be analyzed by, uh, then that can be if you convey that to the to the priest and you convey that to the, the church, they can say yes, this is mortal based on meeting these conditions, confession, and right. so that that you know and that, that preserves it. At the same time, it's like um, that can eat at people, and I think it's if you if you take that analysis and then say um, you really take that seriously, and you're thinking about it all the time, and you're thinking about that legal structure. God seems to you a distant external lawgiver who, when you sin, has just like flipped the switch from book of life to book of death. Does, <laughs> yeah, it, does really that make does. sense? Yeah, like it does. I'm, I'm trying to like you know I'm thinking about Luther actually because. Augustinian monk going to confession like four times a week. Like, right. I think it's intimately related to, I think, you know, the East and their confession model. Um, I, I definitely think it's different than our, our Western. And, and it's also, there's this positivistic notion too. let's say positive, like liberal positivism of the late 1800s of a, a kind of ultra montane character where it was the idea of if we can just encyclopedically put out all the different actions, human actions, you know, every single one and like list them, list them, list them. And then just tell people, okay, submit to the Pope, submit to the church and do good. That that they'll just do it because as long as you're being obedient, you don't need to actually rationally participate That's in any of this. such a Western idea. <laughs> yeah, it's so Western. It's yeah. so Western. It's all it, legal structures and human and, and submission right. and obedience and all this type of stuff. Um. And well, I mean, it, it came because we jettisoned the East, and right. the East jettisoned us, and, right. and both have been the worst for it. Right. Um, you know, an East that's completely devoid of any law or any human element, it just becomes stagnant, as Soloviev has demonstrated in his book, the Roman Church and the uh, sorry, the Russian Church and the Papacy. But the West, without the East, just becomes a <laughs> a bunch of law codes and all this right. type of stuff. And Soloviev argues that the Protestant Reformation was the affirmation of human will and freedom against an authority, against an, a, a, an overreaching authority. He, he says the East represents the divine aspects, and Soloviev says the uh, the West represents the human in authority and in freedom. And what happened is the authority became too strong, and 
uh, Luther and them were the you know asserting of freedom, although they totally messed up, you know, by splitting from the authority. Which, right. but the error of the papists, us papists, is to over overly submit to the point of losing our free will cooperation to uh, the tendency is now not today, <laughs> but right. the tendency was to just trust like, okay, the priest knows everything. I just say yes to it and go from there. And my confessor knows everything. And if I have any problem, I go to the confessor. And if uh, all the legal codes and the Pope ultimately, you know, ultra before then ultramontanism wasn't as, a big deal, but in the late 1800s, it became a really big deal. Pope just becomes like kind of a universal monarch, and we all just kind of follow his lead. Right. So I'm. This is all a roundabout talk of like this legal structure of sin as different than this notion of sin as like hamartia, just missing the mark, this kind of lesser good. And I think Thomas Thomas gets it too, but people take Thomas and and just run with him in different directions. Right. But uh, yeah, how do we, you know? A, a God who, you're you're a Catholic, right? Uh, I'm a Catholic. You're a Catholic. I'm saying, in, in a hypothetical sense, you're a Catholic, and you you struggle with certain mortal sins, and and it's become a habitual thing, and it's habitual mortal sin, and whatever else. And when you commit that sin, and you think, oh wow, I just entered the list of the damned until I can get to confession, like that is a I mean, we, you know, I, I think we need more teaching on mortal sin today, and I'm saying this in a, in an abstract sense. But that that kind of legal, like, oh, bam, mortal sin, bam, you're you're damned, like you're in the mass of the damned now, and then all of a sudden, okay, I go to confession, I walk out, bam, I'm in the book of life again, like that type <laughs> of like legal off and on stuff is. Um, I'll speak from experience. If if you really analyze it, I think it's terrifying. Yeah. Am I wrong in in that? Um, I don't think you're wrong at all. I would present like, and I think that that's when things get interesting in that the Catholic church does teach that once a sin becomes actually like habitual and like addictive, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the concupiscent, a lot of the not concupiscence, a lot of the responsibility for that sin goes away because your free will has been rejected, has been like broken down. And once your free will leaves the picture, it's no longer a damnable offense. It's a thing that you need to work to rebuild your free will against. And it's a thing that you need to like fight. And I think it is like absolutely terrifying, but I would present almost as like counter evidence that things aren't working the way we are thinking of them as working. There's this saint, I'm trying to look him up, um, from China. And he is a... uh, Okay, here he is. Saint Mark Ji Tianshang or something like that. Who knows? Um, I certainly don't. <laughs> um, but he he was a Chinese layman who was a doctor who died within like addicted to opiates. Um, and so this is like, I believe early 1900s or like in the 1900s. And so he's a Catholic, he's a doctor and um, self-prescribes opiates and at that time, no, like we didn't really Nobody know what, a, what addiction was. Um, and so what he eventually found is that he was constantly going back to these, these, these drugs and like, you know, 
using them and then going to confession. And he just couldn't figure out why he couldn't kick this sin. And eventually the priests and the bishops, they went, well, you're clearly not that repentant if you're constantly going back to this. Um, so they, they banned him from the sacraments. He couldn't go to confession. He couldn't go to communion uh, because he just clearly was not repentant. And he event- and he consistently went to mass every day for 30 years without communion, without confession, began praying that he would be martyred because the only way he could see uh, salvation happening was that he would be martyred. And eventually he was, and he's a canonized saint now in the church. And oh my goodness! Yeah, died with an opiate addiction. What not like this, what is this? Uh, his name again? I, even if you butcher it, like, right? So I can, Saint so Mark G Tianxiang, uh, J I T I A N X I A N G. Uh, it's J I is one word, and then all the rest is one word. So wow, you can rewind it, I guess, if you really want to Google it. But he's a Chinese layman murdered in 1900, according to the Ignatian Spirituality website, and uh, that I just looked up. Yeah, died with an opiate addiction, like not a recovered opiate addict. He died as an opiate addict and is a and is a canonized saint. And I think we look at that and we say, maybe this is a little bit more complex than we want to believe it. Because like God interprets everything in the light that I want this person in heaven. And if it is genuinely a like if our wills are genuinely not strong enough for it, like he's aware of that. He's perfectly aware of it more so than we are ourselves. Um, and one of the things that I think happens with people who deal with scrupulosity is they, their desire to love God grows dramatically, but their understanding of God's desire to love us doesn't, doesn't drop, but doesn't grow Okay, like, or doesn't grow at the same rate. And so like, you could tell them like, Oh God, God loves you. Like, God wants to be with you. God wants you with him. And they think that it's like in the same way that we want a dog in our house, you know, like, well, if, if he's housebroken and if he doesn't like bite the cats and like, <laughs> if he, you know, is good with kids, like I'd, I'd love a dog in my house. If he's not, well, no. <laughs> and that's, that's not how it works. You know, this is, this is far closer to a parent who sees somebody, you know, who like, is addicted to drugs or like this like really toxic lifestyle and they're looking at them and they're saying, please just try. Go into rehab, do something to to get on the path to recovery. Mm-hmm. And like if you're trying, I'm willing to like give you infinite chances. I just need to know you're trying. And I just want you here. I want you with me because that's what's best for you. You're going to be happiest and you're it's going to be best for you. And in, and what we think is that it's actually more like somebody who's like trying to pay their way into a club. <laughs> like we, we think like, not like a club you'd go to and get drinks and like see yep. things, but like, like, like this, like exclusive, <laughs> this exclusive We're talking Veritas society club. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> like, it's not like this thing that like, you're not trying to get into an in crowd. That's yeah. not what's going on because <laughs> if there was some kind of like entrance fee to heaven, we would all be in debt. Not, not only would we not have the money for it, like we would actively like have bills to pay to other people before we could pay that entrance fee. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's silly to think that that's how we're going to get there, but that's what we, we get. We have, we have people who desire to be with God so badly 
but they don't understand that God wants them with them far, far, far more than, than like they want themselves. Mm. Um, and like, and, and that's, that's what I think is like just such a tragedy. And like, all of this is really easy in, uh, in concept. And I do say this from experience as somebody who struggled with scrupulosity mightily for years upon years. Um, and it actually got significantly better when Christ like gave me an experience of like gave me an entire semester of battling with scrupulosity and also understanding, like growing tremendously in an understanding of God's love for me. Mm. And in, and I've kind of come to the conclusion that that's the only way to heal it. Like the, the funny thing about scrupulosity is we kind of like, it, it inclines us to like inch away from God. Like, mm. Oh, I'm not worthy. And like, I'll come to you when I'm, when I'm healed. Mm. Like I'll come to you when I'm better. And like, that's silly. That's ridiculous. That's it's impossible to be healed or to be with God otherwise. And, and it's like a totally understandable and not, if not admirable, at least understandable reaction. Like, of course we're all unworthy, but it's not through withdrawing from God's love that we're going to become worthy of it. It's by encompassing ourselves with it. And like understanding that it's not us that it's not our progress as i as i mentioned very like an hour and a half ago um our discuss like virtue is not our action we can't even accomplish like uh the general virtues prudence justice fortitude and temperance like the virtues that are generally held to be like we could accomplish these theoretically without grace mm-hmm. aquinas teaches that we could have accomplished those without an extraordinary grace in heaven because, or not in heaven, in the garden of Eden. Now that we have a corrupted soul, even achieving prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance, it is impossible to achieve those without the supernatural and exceptional grace of Christ. Yeah. And so like to understand that there's no way we're going to achieve this without grace and it's there for the asking. <laughs> so often we we try to achieve this by like we go to the, we go to the sacraments and we like and we you know we go to prayer but it's all but we think of it as like lifting weights and like right. that's the if it is lifting weights it's not us doing the lifting you know like it's yeah. um it's all god mm. and and it just it's like not an easy process it's not even remotely an easy process um but you know, Thomas Aquinas had Jesus appear to him after he wrote the Summa and Jesus says, you've written well, like what, what do you ask for in return? And he didn't say like perfect virtue and he didn't say, um, you know, holiness. He said only you because Christ leads to all of those things. Right. And eventually, and like, but virtue and lack of sin is not an end in itself. Christ is the end and Christ wants us to be with him. And he will get us there if we're genuinely trying. Yeah. He's wanting to get us there. That's that's the other thing too. It's like he wants it, he wants it infinitely more than we want it ourselves. Yeah. Like we it's not a like it's not a thing where he's just like kind of kind of pulling and we're kind of pulling and it's gotta be 50-50. It doesn't have to be like like I think if we I think if we said that the ratio was ninety-nine to one, it would be an understatement of the desire that God has for our salvation compared to our own. Hmm. Yeah. Like 
because it's infinite and we're finite beings. We can only want it so much. God wants it. There's no limit to how much God wants every individual to get to heaven, which is what makes condemnation so tragic. And right. like, and like, <laughs> that's why there's so many of these, like, ah, what would you call them? Paradoxes or difficulties that you just, at the same time, it's like, yeah, you can definitively break away from God. And at the same time, he infinitely wants you with him. And, you know, like we need to cooperate with that, but cooperate with his grace. But like, even the beginnings of our cooperation is inspired by grace and all this type of stuff. And we're just like, I have no idea. I have no idea. Which is why theology <laughs> is so fun to actually like talk through and stuff. But it's, you know, it's terrifying and then it's uh oh i committed moral sin i'm in that book of damnation now or whatever like that terrifyingness the the greatness of god's grace in the sacrament of confession like every time i go it's some i can't avoid just the very physical element of just like relief yeah when like yeah. like no confession exhale amazing. after confession or something like that and um you know the beauty of that that grace in that sacrament and uh, the Eucharist, you know, I love, I, I was, there was a Catholic meme this morning I saw and it was like um, <laughs> Muslims, uh, no alcohol or something, you know, like some other religion, no alcohol or Baptist, no alcohol. And then at the bottom, it had like a crusader and it was like, alcohol is part of my religion, oh my <laughs> <gosh>. <laughs> which is great. <laughs> well, I mean, the Eucharist is both the bread for the journey and the wine to make it a little bit easier. You know what I mean? Um, I've never heard that before, but I well, assume, I mean, I assume uh, you're taking it from somewhere. Yeah. And, and well, I mean, Christ came to the wedding and then didn't just give him more wine. He multiplied it ridiculously. There were 10 stone jars. Right. Each holding like 50 gallons, something ridiculous. One of like 50 gallons or something like that. Quite possibly. <laughs> it I... was absurd how many, how much like wine. He <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, six stone jars were standing there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. He said, fill them to the brim. 30, ga- 30, t- you know, 30 so, times six. So 180 gallons. 180 gallons of wine. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, yeah, we're going to make that. And that's after they had already been drinking that week. Jesus probably received a lot of party invitations after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the party, yeah. Mary's the receiving all these invitations. They're like, by the way, can you? Bring your son to that link. Yeah. That'd be really useful. And we also have, you know, Christ saying, uh, take my yoke upon you for my burden is easy. Uh, yeah, my yoke is easy. My burden's light. And you're like, hmm, Christ, did you ever try be- being a Christian? <laughs> um, and then in the same, and then there's also like this hellfire stuff. And you're like, okay, your yoke is easy, yet mortal sin is very easy. And, uh, <laughs> and that warrants eternal damnation somehow. And, I have to kind of navigate that. And uh, well, that grace is there for our cooperation. I don't know. Anyway, so you were saying. No, I was just going to say like, well, and that's the thing is mortal sin is not Christ's yoke. You know, like mortal sin yeah. is mortal sin is easy. Christ's yoke is easy. We're choosing between two easy alternatives, but like mortal sin is throwing the yoke off. It's, it's not, throwing the yoke it's off. not, yeah, rece- yeah. it's not even entirely receiving it and like stumbling in a, in one sense it isn't in one sense it isn't because yeah like it, it's a total it's an actual choice mm. um but yeah so i don't know just these are the paradoxes of the faith and i i yeah like who who would imagine that a god is who is three and also one and god and also man would also have a complex and paradoxical description of how he operates with people and like, it, yeah it's complex from uh, our of, perspective like totally of, simple from his you know what I mean? oh yeah no it, it makes perfect sense like 
you know, as with, as God is a necessary being and et cetera, et cetera. Like it's, how could it be any other, any other way? But for us, we're like, Oh, like there's got to be, (laughs) there's got to be some other explanation. Like this doesn't make sense. It's like, well, we just don't understand it completely. And it's almost impossible to do so fully. There's always more to be said and written (laughs) and believed. Always more to be said. It's not always great, especially the Callan and Alex show. (laughs) (laughs) But yet we still do it. Our our, one of our ending sequences, we have our kind of like last gospel of the Callan and Alex show. And a guy we went to Austria with, Zach Hamar, we had him on the podcast. Shout out uh, to Zach. But uh, Kellen was like, I, you know, I can't understand why God would allow, you know, what was it he was trying to say? Why God? Oh, why God would allow like suffering, uh, Mm -hmm. like natural disaster suffering. I can't, I don't know why God would allow like all this. And then Zach goes, well, he allows you to keep going on and on. <laughs> Just like that. Wow. <laughs> and uh, so that's our kind of like last gospel. So the show the show continues. We say more and more stuff, but eventually we will be there with the holy silence. <laughs> you know, whether it's, uh, well, we pray, we pray for heaven. <laughs> we hope that we're saved. We hope we, uh, you know, maybe convince some people on, on Sunday or maybe, maybe we hope we don't. I have no idea. Look, where do I fall on this? This issue of Dairy Hope? God knows. I, I don't, I, I, I can't come down definitively. And then I have this, I have this weird universalist tendencies. What? Whack. Um, I mean, so anyway, it's not totally like ununderstandable. There's, I think like there's like, obviously it's good to ask questions just like eventually her, her, heretics are only heretics when they definitively say, no, the church is just wrong in this. Yep. Which the church is the body of Christ, and we pray Mother Mary will keep both of us within <laughs> the church's bosom and not uh, persist in any dogmatic errors. We may or may not have professed on this <laughs> podcast. Here's hoping. Please, somebody let us yeah. know. Like, it's like a little disclaimer at the end. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we we discussed a lot of very serious stuff here, and uh, so if almost we're, if we're completely out of line. Let us know. Almost definitely got something wrong. Like. I, this is this is one of those topics that like the the use of the wrong vocabulary word can take you from like profound theological truth to like heresy. You're a total heretic <laughs> and kind of an idiot too. Like so yeah. So here's hoping. Here's hoping. <laughs> <laughs> we dare to hope that everything we said was correct. Yep. Only slightly more likely than every single person being uh, redeemed. So totally. <laughs> I'll say a little Hail Mary to wrap us up. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou, among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Alex, thanks for coming on the podcast, brother. Thank so you. <laughs> yeah, so much, so much fun. Um, I talked a little bit too much, but I thought it, but it was great. So. No, perfect. perfect. We, we went right back and forth. So that's going to wrap it up for us guys. Uh, hoping to have a podcast with nation Clem after the debate on Ooh. Sunday, uh, if we can and discuss these issues once again, and we'll, we'll see who wins. I, I have an inkling. They probably will, but we, we may be able to pull it out somehow. Yeah. Somehow. We'll see. Dare we hope. We'll Dare so, we hope. <laughs> thanks for listening guys and peace out. If there's a Christian religion, and it's Catholicism or nothing. What politics actually is, art of people living together, orienting one another towards virtue. And the person was like, dude, flirting is the abortion of love. This is the most worthy, most exciting, most adventurous. Drop a nuke uh, on the Franciscan bubble. The Kellen and Alex Show.
sound theology. God could have stopped it. If he Permissive wanted. will. That's right. <laughs> I don't know why God would allow something like that to go through. But then again, God allows. God allows you to go on and on. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Truth, okay. <laughs>